0: Greetings fellow travelers, vagrants, explorers, wildlanders, and welcome to episode 35 of the Retro Wildlands. My name is Nomad and this is my gaming podcast where I like to share my thoughts and experiences with a video game that I have discovered or rediscovered while roaming the gaming wildlands. Thank you very much for joining me today. It is always a pleasure having you with us as we venture into the wildlands, my friend. Whether this is your first episode, your thirty-fifth, or you're somewhere in between, I appreciate you giving me some of your time and hanging out. Dee Dee, our canine expedition leader, is in pretty good spirits today. The weather here in Ohio is starting to warm up just a little bit, so that means more time outside. It's been nothing but chilly weather here, and we're finally getting some days with some actual sunshine, so morale around the expedition is high. Be sure to give Didi a good scratch behind the ears when he makes his way over to you. If you'd like, I have a few bananas in the Expedition food supply today if you feel like giving our boy a little bit of a treat. Why bananas, of all things? Well, it just seems very appropriate given what game we're going to be talking about today. On today's episode, we're going to be taking a look at a game on the Super Nintendo that is hailed as one of the best games on the console, and arguably one of the best video games of all time. It has a visual style that makes it stand out against all of the other amazing games in the SNES library, and it's a game some say saved the Super Nintendo by pumping new life into that console right when it needed it the most. Today we're going to be talking about Donkey Kong Country. I think this is another example of a game that I think most gamers have heard of and even some non-gamers probably have gotten wind of at some point. This side-scrolling platformer was in a class all of its own and really stands out amongst its peers, even today. Most will probably remember this game for the 3D-looking graphics, but after playing the game for the very first time on my Super Nintendo Classic last week, I think it's the overall gameplay experience that really cements this title as one of the greats. Now, I'll be honest, of all the genres of video games out there, platformers are probably middle of my list of favorites. I don't mind playing them, but they are not my absolute favorites. When I played Resident Evil on the PlayStation when I was younger, that's when I got into gaming, so I tended to gravitate more towards games that would give me a good gameplay experience that had some sort of narrative around it. I'm talking about games like Metal Gear Solid, Silent Hill, Devil May Cry, Tomb Raider. I enjoyed playing what I did when I was growing up with my Nintendo, Super Nintendo, and Genesis, and platformers on those systems just ranked as fine for me. I personally preferred games like The Legend of Zelda, Turtles in Time, Star Fox, and Contra. There was one point I remember getting an issue of Nintendo Power in the mail, and it had a focus on Donkey Kong Country, a new game for the Super Nintendo. Now right away, the visual presentation immediately caught my eye. The backgrounds were pre-rendered 3D backdrops. Donkey Kong and his pal Diddy Kong even looked 3D as well. It was definitely a feast for the eyes. When I read the article, I was intrigued for the most part. The game seemed to have a love of secret areas, too. There was one issue of Nintendo Power I had that walked through a few levels of the game and pointed out secret passageways and barrels you could jump into that would launch you into new areas. It all seemed very cool for what it was, but for some reason, I was not eager to play Donkey Kong Country. No one at my school was talking about it, and of the few games I did have in my home on my Super Nintendo, my stepdad and I were pretty content with what we had. So all that said, I let Donkey Kong Country and all of its subsequent entries pass by me. But I always knew it was a good game, and I promised myself I would get around to playing it at some point. Well, I am 38 years old now, and the time has finally come. My buddy Bob at work brought this game up in conversation a few weeks ago, and after talking about the game, I remembered it came included in my Super Nintendo Classic, so there was no more putting it off. So after finally playing through Donkey Kong Country, what are my thoughts? Is it a game as good as people and the critics say? Did I enjoy my time monkeying around while collecting bananas and discovering secret rooms and treasures? Well, grab a seat by the campfire, my friends. I am very eager to tell you about my experiences on Donkey Kong Island and what sort of secrets I uncovered. Now, before we get into the episode itself, I usually like to take some time to chat it up with you all a bit and give you all a peek behind the scenes here in the Retro Wildlands. Depending on what's on my mind, I like to talk about what's going on with the podcast itself, what games I'm playing, what's going on in my life, any projects I'm working on, and whatever else pops up. I'll also read and respond to any comments I received when I put a call out on our social media. Now, if none of this sounds interesting to you and you just want to get to the Donkey Kong Country talk, you can skip ahead about five to seven-ish minutes. I should have loaded timestamps in the show's description as well, so if you don't want to fumble around with your little slider doohickey thing on your podcast app, you can use that to get exactly where you need to go. So if you listen to episode 33 of the podcast, where I covered Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles for the NES, I talked about how and why I turned the Retro Wildlands into a bi-weekly-ish podcast instead of a weekly one. I wanted to report that the decision to do so was a very hard one, but I will say, it is proving to be a good one for me personally. While I'm not churning out content weekly right now, the extra time has allowed me to get some things in order behind the scenes in all aspects of my life. When it comes to the podcast specifically, I've been able to devote more time to playing some games I want to cover on the show that I need more than a week to digest. I've also been able to get back to networking with fans of the show and other podcasters out there, and that is something that is very important to me. And more than that, I've been putting some time into other Retro Wildlands projects that I'm hoping see the light of day soon. So all of that said, I really do appreciate everyone being as accommodating to myself and the show as you have been. As far as what projects are upcoming, I'm trying to find ways to expand our YouTube channel. As of this recording, I have about half of our podcast library uploaded in video format so people can listen to the show over there. The reason it's so slow going is I settled on a specific way I wanted to upload the audio. Instead of just having our logo up and having the audio play over a still image, I wanted to have screenshots from the game being talked about cycle through as the podcast itself was being played. It's just a little touch that I thought would look nice, but it's actually pretty time-consuming to put together and render into a full video. I want there to be at least 100 different images in each video, so that requires me to go back and gather them from my gameplay recordings, or, in some cases, I've had to replay some of the games themselves to get more footage. I know I'm creating more work for myself, but I love how they turn out when I'm through. On top of all that, I've been wanting to make small review videos on games I've played that I can't quite make an episode of the show out of due to the games not being robust enough for a full-on show. A great example is Donkey Kong 3 for the Nintendo. I started playing this game over the weekend and... While it's a pretty awesome game, and I'd love to talk about it, there is no way I can make a 45 minute to an hour podcast about it in our current format. There is just not enough there with this game. So I'm thinking of making a small video review about it. I've got other games I want to do the same thing with, even some modern games that I've been coming across, and the extra time between podcast episodes has helped a ton there. So that said, follow us over on YouTube if you want another way to listen to the show, or you want to be one of the first ones to get in line for when I do start posting more content over there. All you have to do is search at Retro Wildlands and you should find us. I can't really give any solid dates right now, I'm just trying to fit it all in where time allows. And speaking of our online presence in general, I'm also over on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter if you want to follow us over there as well. One thing I do try and make time for is chatting it up with all of you fine people, and I think I'm pretty good about responding to all messages and comments pretty quick, so feel free to jump in the fun conversations we've been having. As far as games that I've been playing, I'm actually juggling quite a few. One modern game I'm still working through is Theater Rhythm Final Bar Line on my Nintendo Switch. That's the Final Fantasy Rhythm game that dropped earlier this year, and I've been having an absolute blast with this game. I'm about halfway through the main game mode, and I'm considering doing a podcast episode about the game as a whole. I think Final Fantasy fans specifically will like to hear about this game, but I also don't think too many people are talking about this game in general, really, so that might be on the way when I finish this game up completely. I also picked up and finished a random indie game that caught my eye called Thy Sword. Best way I can describe this one is a retro-inspired hack and slash platformer with some roguelike elements. It was on sale on the PlayStation Store I think a week or two ago, and it was cross-buy for the PlayStation 4 and the PlayStation Vita, so I decided to give it a go and I was pretty impressed with it overall. I'm in the middle of making a video review of this game that I'll upload to YouTube at some point when it's done, but I highly recommend this one if hack and slash platformers with a retro aesthetic are your thing. As far as retro games go, I dug my Super Nintendo Classic out and I've been having a grand old time with that little beast. Obviously I've been playing Donkey Kong Country, but I've also been putting some time into Super Mario World and I started dipping my toes back into Super Mario RPG. That game was my very first role-playing game ever, and I remember playing this one way back in the day. I had no idea what an RPG was, and I played this game all sorts of wrong, so I keep thinking about jumping back into it and playing it as a wiser older man. And lastly, I decided to jump into a Super Nintendo game I personally consider to be a hidden gem. A little game called UN Squadron. It's a side-scrolling shooter based on a Japanese manga called Area 88. It's slightly different from other shoot-'em-ups in that your aircraft will take damage over time instead of being destroyed outright when you're hit by enemy fire. And you can also purchase new aircraft to use along with several different weapons you can bring into battle. It can be pretty hard in some spots until you learn the levels and enemy patterns, but I think this one might be getting an episode somewhere down the line. I like it that much. If there's a game you think I should be talking about on the show, do not hesitate to reach out to me on social media and let me know. A good pile of episodes that I've already done have come from listener recommendations like you, and I've had a blast checking out games that you love that I missed out on growing up. Alright, I think I've rambled enough for today. It's time to get to the reason that you're all around the campfire today. It's time to talk about Donkey Kong Country for the Super Nintendo. Robbie DLC over on our Twitter page wrote in about Donkey Kong Country and said, I think I've shared this story a few times recently. Besides playing the heck out of DKC with my cousins, I remember walking to my local Blockbuster and playing the competition version of the game. I was absolutely horrible, but I had the greatest time. Ah, Blockbuster. To my knowledge, we've never had a blockbuster near us where I lived when I was little. We had a few no-name places, but the one that I remember where we sometimes rented the original Nintendo system from was a place called Video Nuts. It was like walking into a candy store. I loved renting games based solely on their box art. We had a chance to rent Donkey Kong Country, but I never grabbed it. Now, I didn't know what you meant by competition version of the game, so I had to look this one up. So apparently there's 2500 of these cartridges out there and they contain a small select amount of stages from Donkey Kong Country. The goal was to score as many points as possible in this version of the game, which is different from the actual game because there was no score counter. In the competition version, you needed to score as many points as you can, and then, when five minutes elapsed, the game would freeze. Now, this sounds really awesome, and I wish I could have played this. Now that we're talking about it, I wonder if that game is still out there in the wild, and what people are selling it for. Oh, ah, okay, here we go, that's not too bad. I found a listing for $1,950. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get right on that. <laughs> Thank you very much for the comment, Robbie. I appreciate you writing in. Retro Tiburon reached out over on her Instagram page and asked, What's the best DK Country game in your opinion? Eh, Well, to be completely honest with you, Retro, I have not played enough games in the DKC universe to really have an opinion yet. However, I have started to dabble in Donkey Kong Country 2, and I'm also messing around with Tropical Freeze on my Switch. Tropical Freeze is pretty awesome, and I love how pretty much every member of the Kong family plays a role in gameplay which really expands the experience. But on the flip side, I am really enjoying Donkey Kong Country 2. The level design really stands out for me and the soundtrack is fantastic. I enjoyed playing as Diddy Kong in his own adventure, but more than that, I love playing as his girlfriend Dixie Kong. She can use her long hair to fly and it creates a fantastic gameplay mechanic. So of these two and the original that I've already played, I have to give my best pick to Donkey Kong Country 2 for the time being. Every new level is exciting and you cannot discount a game that gets you excited to progress through it. Now that is not to discount the original that we're going to be talking about today because every great game series had to begin somewhere and this beginning is a pretty damn good one. Thank you for chiming in on this episode, Retro. I appreciate hearing from you. Donkey Kong Country was originally released on November 18, 1994 on the SNES, and it stars Donkey Kong and his best friend Diddy Kong. Donkey Kong's banana hoard has been stolen by Kremlings in the middle of the night. Diddy Kong, who was supposed to be standing watch, has been stuffed into a barrel and chucked into the jungle. It's going to be up to Donkey Kong to follow the Kremlings' trail, get his little buddy back and take the fight to the Kremlings in order to recover his coveted banana horde. The Kongs are going to have to travel across many parts of the island, including the jungle, the snow-covered mountains, through underground mines and across monolithic ruins. They may even need to call upon some of their animal friends to lend a helping hand. Or paw. Or wing? But can Donkey and Diddy find all of their missing bananas and defeat the evil King K. Rule, the supreme leader of the Kremlings and mastermind behind the banana heist? Or will the Kongs have to find another source of potassium and vitamin B6? That my friends is going to be completely up to us. So let's get ready, Wildlanders. King K. Rule and the Kremlings need to be taught a lesson. Let's show him that you can't just take somebody else's banana hoard and expect to walk away scot-free. There are repercussions, and it's up to us to deliver them swiftly and efficiently, Donkey Kong style. When I think back to all of the games I used to play when I was a kid, my absolute favorites were on the Super Nintendo. I cannot think of a single game I ever played on it that I did not like. For most of you listening that grew up in the 80s and the early 90s, I think in most cases your households have either a Super Nintendo or it had a Sega Genesis. But I was extremely fortunate. If there was anything that ever came out of my parents' divorce that I would consider to be good, it was that I had a Super Nintendo at Mom's house and a Sega Genesis at Dad's house, and I got to experience both of those ecosystems. Now, both of my parents never let me play video games for hours and hours on end, or we never really had a pile of games for me to run through, but what games I did have over the years were all very special to me. And while I got to enjoy some platformers like Super Mario World and Sonic the Hedgehog 2, I never really had a love for the genre. I loved adventure games like The Legend of Zelda Link to the Past, shooters like Star Fox, beat-em-ups like Golden Axe and Turtles in Time, puzzle-centric games like Goof Troop. All of them were amazing, and it was to a point where I couldn't possibly see games getting any better than these, especially when it came to the graphics. Then, one day, I found my young self staring at my latest edition of the Nintendo Power magazine. On the cover was Donkey Kong Country, a brand new game that I never heard of before. What caught my eye was what I'm sure caught most everyone else's eye. Donkey Kong, and then a smaller-looking Kong, and several snakes on the cover were all rendered in beautiful 3D. It looked absolutely incredible. Inside the magazine, there was a 10 or so page spread that went into the game and, if I remember right, talked about how the game's graphics were made and what the game was all about. It was a side-scrolling platformer that had some gorgeous visuals across its 40 levels. Each one of those levels was chock-full of secrets to uncover, and there were even animal buddies that you could ride. It had everything a kid could have wanted out of a video game, but for me, it never really interested me. Now I know, I'm sure somebody is losing their mind right now, but I never had an urge to jump on this game. Not as a kid, and not even as an adult. I just wasn't, and am not, head over heels in love with platformers. More than anything, though, when I was a kid, I actually just enjoyed reading about Donkey Kong Country and all it had to offer more than I actually wanted to play it. So as quickly as DKC came into my life, it just as quickly faded from it. I was happy with what I had and even the jaw-dropping visuals weren't enough to beg my mom to get it for me. So fast forward to a couple weeks ago. My buddy Bob at my work suggested I give this game a go, and I remembered that it was one of the titles on my Super Nintendo Classic. So I said, you know what? Fuck it. It's time to give this one a chance. And now that I have, I have to say, I should not have waited this long to try this game. While I'm still not completely blown away by Donkey Kong Country, I did have a great time with it, much more than I was expecting. Is it a game that still holds up today, though? Is it a must-play experience if you're into retro games or platformers in general? Well my friends, sit back and relax. I'm going to tell you all about my thoughts and experiences with this game. But before we can do that, we need to break Donkey Kong Country down and see exactly what it is that we're working with. So what is this game? Donkey Kong Country is a side-scrolling platformer released on the Super Nintendo back in 1994. We play as Donkey Kong, and our mission is a simple one. We need to recover our stolen banana horde from the Kremlings, a race of crocodilians that have been feuding with the Kongs for reasons unknown. In order to do that, we need to chase them down all across Donkey Kong Island following the trail of bananas that they left behind but we don't have to go about our journey alone. In this game, we're introduced to a brand new Kong named Diddy Kong, Donkey Kong's best buddy and pal. Across 40 levels, we'll jump, spin, somersault, and barrel toss our way to the end, where we will face down the Kremlin leader, King K. Rule in a battle to the death for the rights to the Banana Horde. So, the story setup is pretty much what I described. Bananas Gone, Must Find Bananas, Return Bananas, Enjoy Sweet Victory on Pile of Bananas. The game's instruction manual actually has a four-page story setup that you can find online and read through if you really want to get the inside scoop. It details the events that lead up to the banana theft, which end with Donkey Kong vowing to scour every inch of the island to get his bananas back. As depicted in the story, for some reason Diddy Kong was supposed to be guarding the banana horde, but when the Kremlings came and took it all, they stuffed Diddy Kong into a barrel and chucked his ass into the jungle, so we also need to find him as well. Now like I said, you could look up the instruction manual online if you really want to read more about the opening events of the game, but that is really all there is to talk about when it comes to the story. Really, it's the presentation and the gameplay that make this game what it is. We're going to jump into the game itself and play around a little bit to get a feel for how the game itself is, but before we do that, we have to talk about these amazing visuals. The presentation might not seem like much nowadays to look at, but back in the 90s, how Donkey Kong Country looked was a very big deal. Video games really didn't use any sort of 3D graphics up to this point, at least not with any regularity. In 1993, Star Fox on the Super Nintendo emerged as a visual feast for the eyes when it used the FX microchip to create some pretty awesome 3D effects and was a pretty big standout game for me personally, even if it was more so because of the gameplay than the actual visuals. Video games in general were largely two-dimensional in presentation, but the industry was starting to head in this direction, albeit slowly. 3D rendering was already starting to pop up, but not in the video game world, more so in the world of cinema. One movie that utilized 3D rendering was The Abyss, which came out in 1989, and Terminator 2, which landed in 1991, and these ones were a couple of my personal favorites that used some awesome 3D graphics on screen. So really, it was just a matter of time before somebody in the video game industry felt that it was time to push the envelope when it came to gaming graphics, and someone was actually two someones. Chris and Tim Stamper from the development studio Rare. Using computers from company Silicon Graphics Inc., they created Donkey Kong Country in all of its 3D pre-rendered glory. When I researched this game a bit, I learned that Nintendo really wanted a game that was going to compete with Aladdin, a side scrolling platformer that had come out on the Sega Genesis slash Mega Drive, or whatever you kids want to call it. Aladdin, though, looked fantastic, and the graphics were actually hand drawn images from Disney animators. Eventually, Nintendo learned that Rare had the ability to render 3D models on the Super Nintendo using the CGI computers Rare invested in and the rest is more or less history. When I saw the graphics on display in Donkey Kong Country when I was a kid, I knew they were something special, and even though I didn't play the game, I couldn't help but be in awe of the visual spectacle. Character models, in-game objects, the bad guys, and the backgrounds themselves all looked so real, like they could come to life at any point but what really blew my mind when I finally played this game as an adult was how smooth the gameplay experience was. I never really noticed it when I was a kid, but have any of you tried playing Star Fox on the Super Nintendo lately? Even on the SNES Classic, that game chugs along, and I have to assume it was due to the graphics. I half-expected Donkey Kong Country to chug a little bit on its own with all that marvelous graphics weighing it down, But that is absolutely not the case. Jumping, running, riding in a minecart, it all goes smoothly and I can't remember any time I experienced any sort of performance slowdown. More so than the 3D graphics, some stages had some pretty impressive weather effects too. As you progress through some of the stages, day can turn into night and vice versa. It was really cool getting towards the end of a level, seeing Nightfall on the level itself and then that darkness that fell in the previous level carrying over to the next level. Some levels also had some pretty impressive rain and even snow effects as well. At first when I was playing through these particular levels, I was sorta agitated. And what I mean is, I was agitated at how good these effects were. The rain and snow would be so heavy that I would actually have a hard time seeing what I was doing because the whole play area was being obscured by these weather effects. But over time, despite this, I actually started to garner a bit of appreciation for the effects. Not only did they force me to play differently based on my limited visibility, the game did not slow down or have any issues at all with all the stuff flying around on screen. I was pretty impressed. And if I did lose a life, I normally just thought, well, at least the weather looks stunning. Other than the backgrounds, all the character models in this game look incredible as well. Aside from just the 3D rendering in general, each character had multiple frames of animation. Something like ducking down looks really, really good, and it's all done very smoothly. If I had any complaints about the presentation, it's that I feel that the camera was zoomed in a little too close to our heroes on screen. Now, I get it, bigger character models to show off the awesome graphics, but for as smooth as this game can be and as fast-paced as it can get, I would often hit an enemy that was just off-screen because they appeared and I didn't have much time to react. But that is a very small gripe in the grand scheme of things. Really, I learned to live with the camera, and looking back on it now, I can't see how this game would actually work if it was zoomed out any farther. The way the camera looks now just makes sense. But beyond all of that, I don't think I have much more to say about the presentation as a whole. The visuals in this game clearly speak for themselves. Rare absolutely pushed the Super Nintendo to its limits and squeezed every ounce of detail possible out of it. The visual look of Nintendo's Donkey Kong will continue to take inspiration from how Rare modeled Donkey Kong in this game, and I have to say, the Big Ape looks pretty damn good, especially with his bright red tie. Alright, so we've covered the story setup and we know why we're here. We touched on the presentation so we know how good we're looking. Now it's time we slap this cartridge into our Super Nintendo and get a feel for how this game plays by going through the game's opening level. When the game fires up, we're met with the Rareware logo appearing on screen in a full 3D render from a green wireframe and the Nintendo logo itself takes center stage. The fanfare that plays here is perfectly fitting. This moment is really the beginning of a celebration. 18 months it took to develop this game, and 20 people put their blood, sweat, and tears into it as well. This was their moment, as much as it was ours. On the next screen, we're introduced to some old crumudgeon playing music on his gramophone recording thingamajig. This character here is known as Cranky Kong. Cranky is actually the original Donkey Kong from back in the early 1980s. He is the OG, the one that took on Mario himself in the very first Donkey Kong games. But we're not here playing as this old codger, we're playing as Donkey Kong the Third, Cranky's grandson. DK is a totally new character with a new look, new moves, and a new attitude, which he demonstrates by demolishing Cranky's gramophone with a huge boombox and then promptly kicking Cranky off the screen. Heh, what a dick move that was. DK demonstrates the graphical power of the game by smoothly throwing down some dance moves, but Cranky returns to toss DK a barrel full of TNT. It explodes, and we are met with the title screen, Donkey Kong Country. From here, we have three save slots to choose from, meaning we have three different game saves on one cartridge, which is always neat. When we choose an empty slot, we're met with a choice of gameplay options. First we can select a one-player game which is pretty self-explanatory. We also have two options when it comes to co-op in DKC. We can choose a two-player team game, or we could choose a two-player contest. When you play as a two-player team, one of you will control Donkey Kong and the other will control Diddy Kong. Now, just like in the one-player version of the game, only one character can be controlled at a time. You can tag your partner and switch places with them, giving them control, but you both can't use your character simultaneously. It's a great mode if you want to work together with a friend or sibling. The contest variant has each of you taking turns, seeing who can finish the most levels in the shortest amount of time. This is a great mode if you want to get into fights with your friend or sibling. Now as of the recording of this episode, I have not been able to play with a friend at all, so I can only speak to the single player experience. So that said, that is what we select. From here, we're taken to the overworld map that shows off Donkey Kong Island. When we first start off, we're in the Congo jungle, and we can see a miniature looking Donkey Kong that marks where we are on the map. As we go through levels and conquer the Congo Jungle, the next area will open up and then so on and so forth. When we select Congo Jungle here, we're taken within and shown a new map. Now this is where we select what level we want to jump in. We only have access to the first stage, but when we complete it, a path to the next stage will appear and so on. Our first stage is called Jungle Hijinks. But we'll soon get to play other very cool sounding levels such as Ropey Rampage, Bouncy Bonanza, Monkey Mines, Vine Valley, Torchlight Trouble, and many other so aptly named levels. For now, let's select Jungle Hijinx and start our quest to find our Banana Horde. When the level begins, we can see lush green trees sprawling in the background for what seems like miles. The 3D pre-rendered backgrounds are truly a sight to behold. At the top left of the screen, we can see Donkey Kong's cabin. In a stunning entrance, Donkey Kong bursts out of his front door and lands on the ground below. On the top right-hand side of the screen, we can see a life counter. We start the game with five lives, but we can certainly gain more. I'll go over some ways that we can gain more lives a little later, but you'll notice that the life counter doesn't stay on-screen for very long. It quickly vanishes off-screen. It's a little touch, but the developers purposefully removed any sort of on-screen heads-up display or anything that would take away from the graphics and the gameplay, and I absolutely love Donkey Kong Country for this. When we collect bananas, for instance, the counter will appear on screen to let us know how many we have, but it is then quickly removed to make room for the visual spectacle. It was a fantastic idea, and anytime it makes sense to, removing HUD elements from a game I feel just puts you more into the gameplay experience itself. So at this point we have control of Donkey Kong. Pressing left or right on the controller's directional pad will move DK in that direction. We can jump by pressing the jump button as well. Now, before we get moving forward to the right of the screen, there's something we need to keep in mind that I'm sure many veteran gamers already know about and already have an idea of what I'm about to say. In most video games, and especially in Donkey Kong Country, you have to check behind you for any secrets before moving forward when you start a level. One time I did this and actually found a secret in a game, so now I have to check behind me whenever I start a new stage or a level and it's just my cross to bear. And now, so do you! If we look behind Donkey Kong and towards the cliff face that DK's cabin is on, we can see stepping stones that we can use to climb back up to the cabin. When we do that, we're able to enter the cabin itself. Inside DK's swanky cabin, we can see a 1-Up Balloon floating near the top of the screen. One-Ups in this game come in the form of Balloons. Red ones give you one extra life, green balloons give you two, and blue balloons give you a whopping three extra lives. You obviously want to keep your eyes out for these as you go, but you have to grab them quickly if you see them. Some balloons will start to float upwards, and if you don't catch them quick enough, you'll lose the opportunity to do so. Don't be that kid who lost the grip on that balloon and watch it float away into the sky, never to be seen again. Make sure you're quick to grab it. Now inside Donkey Kong's cabin, the balloon isn't going anywhere, but let's not waste any time and grab it anyway. It's too high to jump and grab it on its own, but lucky for us there's a tire in the middle of the room that we can use to jump on and get some serious height. Pressing the jump button to get on the tire, we press it again and jump up to the top of the screen, grabbing the balloon in the process. Awesome, now we have six lives and hopefully many more extra lives to collect as we go. We exit the cabin and head back outside. Right behind us is a hole in the cliff that we can go in if we want to, but that just takes us to the cave where Donkey Kong's banana hoard used to be. You can go in there if you want Donkey Kong to look sad for a moment, but I vote that we push on. DK's banana hoard has been stolen and there is no sense in wallowing in our own self-pity. We need to put our big boy pants on and we gotta get to work. So speaking of getting to work finding our bananas… Right in front of us on the path are three bananas just lying haphazardly on the ground. Most likely they fell from the pile when the Kremlings ran off with the bigger horde. We are going to be finding bananas lying all over the place, and we should collect as many of them as we can. Not only do we get an extra life for every hundred we collect, bananas are just downright good for us. When we walk over bananas that are out in the playfield, they're automatically added to our total. As we move forward, we're met with our first enemy. It's a little rat-looking thing called Naughty that's spelled G-N-A-W-T-Y. Like Naughty, but gnaw, like you're gnawing on a piece of beef jerky, for instance. The whole game is full of fun enemy names like this and reaffirms why I love the English language so much. But anyway, when we encounter enemies on our journey, we can either avoid them or we can find a way to dispatch them. Like most platformers, jumping on top of the enemies you come across is generally an effective way of getting rid of them. But other than jumping on your foes, there are other methods. By pressing the Y button on the controller, you can make Donkey Kong roll forward. While he's rolling, he'll also take out any enemy that's in his way. Not only that, when you roll into an enemy, you get a little burst of speed that can be pretty damn useful when platforming. For the longest time, I've been conditioned to jump on enemies, so it took me a little while to get used to the idea of rolling into them. I will say, after watching some people play this game online, I can tell the best players rolled more than they jumped. Now as far as our little friend here goes, I'll let you decide how you want to take the little bastard out. Whichever method we choose though, the little guy takes a hit, and off the screen he flies. Just past the little vermin we just dispatched, there's a barrel on the ground with the red letters DK on the side. If we stop and listen really close, it sounds like there's someone inside the barrel. Oh shit! It's Diddy Kong! Apparently, the Kremlings didn't chuck him very far from the cabin. If we run over to the barrel and press and hold the Y button, we can pick up the barrel. Once we let go of the button, Donkey Kong will toss the barrel out in front of him. Any enemy it hits will generally perish, but even if we don't hit an enemy, we can still chuck it to the ground so that it will break open. Let's do that now and free our little buddy. (laughs) Alright, looks like Diddy is doing well after being stuffed into a barrel all night. No psychological trauma or anything that we can see on the outside, so it looks like we're good to go. Now that Diddy is with us, he'll stick right behind Donkey Kong as we move around and jump around. If we press the A button on the controller, Donkey will tag out and have Diddy step up and we can take control of him instead. You have to be on a relatively flat surface to actually do this, as Donkey and Diddy actually high-five each other. If they can't high-five, they do not swap. It's a little weird and probably my only real nitpick, but something to keep in mind as you play. Now quickly before we move on, what's the difference between using Donkey Kong versus Diddy Kong? Diddy is faster than Donkey, but he's not nearly as strong. Diddy has a cartwheel attack that's a lot like Donkey Kong's roll attack, which is pretty useful in its own right, but due to his overall size, Diddy can't stomp on some of the bigger, burlier enemies. Diddy can carry and throw barrels, but he'll actually carry them out in front of him, whereas Donkey will carry barrels over his head and chuck them farther than Diddy can. But Diddy can contact an enemy with his barrel while he's holding it, so it actually makes for a pretty nice shield. Donkey Kong can hit enemies above him because he's holding the barrel above his head, so that is something you can do, so keep that one in mind as well. Now one thing that Donkey Kong can do that Diddy Kong cannot do is slap the ground. Pressing down on the directional pad and hitting the Y button, Donkey will slap the ground which can be used to hit enemies or unearth hidden items. I rarely use this move at all myself personally, so I never found any hidden items or anything, but I have seen videos online where people would unearth hidden bananas and all sorts of other prizes. So with all of that said, which is the better Kong to use? Personally, I prefer using Diddy for his overall speed. If you can get enough speed going, you can jump over a lot of obstacles and even some enemies in your way. Plus, I don't really know how to explain it, but Diddy just feels better overall. Now, one thing we have to consider is what happens when you take a hit from an enemy. All it takes is one hit to spell curtains for whichever Kong we're controlling. If we have both on screen together, Whoever we were using will run off-screen and the other Kong will now be the one that we control. There are several DK barrels in a stage, so we could potentially find our lost friend and free him again, but if we get hit a second time, we lose a life. This whole idea is pretty awesome when you step back and think about it. When you have both Kongs, the game in a very subtle way lets you know that you could take two hits before losing a life without having to clutter the screen with a health bar or some other on-screen indicator. Again, every effort was made to keep you immersed in this world, and I appreciated any of these touches. So as we move on, we come across another little rat thing that needs stomping. We take it out, and then we jump up onto a small hill. Floating up a little ways above, we can see a golden letter K. Hmm, I wonder what that could be for. Well, it certainly looks like something that we can collect and we need to slide it into our pockets, so we jump up and grab it. If it's not too inherently obvious, the K is the beginning of the word Kong. The letters K, O, N, and G are hidden in every level. Some are very easy to see, others, not so much so. When you collect all four, you get an extra life. Neat! You can find the Kong letters pretty easily in the first few stages, but then they start to become a little bit more of a challenge. Some Kong letters can be hidden in bonus stages, too. Bonus stages, you might be asking all of a sudden? Oh yes! There are bonus stages and secrets galore in this game, but we'll get to those in just a moment. As we continue on, I'm going to skip ahead into the level just a little bit and talk about something pretty awesome. Eventually we'll come across a wooden crate lying right in the middle of our path. Hmm, That is interesting. Upon further examination, we can see the outline of a rhinoceros' face on the side. That is also interesting. When we jump on the crate and break it open, we get to meet our very first animal buddy. Inside the crate we find Rambi, the Rhino. He's one of five animal buddies that you can come across in this game. We'll get into the other animals in a little bit, but for now, when we jumped onto the crate we'll have automatically mounted Rambi, so it's time for us to go for a little joyride. Rambi, being a rhinoceros and all, is a brick shithouse and if we press and hold the Y button, he'll start to run and use his massive horn to cast aside anything in his path. Just like the three little rats making their way towards us right now. It's all automatic, so all we have to do is run forward (coughs) and… the path is clear. Rambi can run pretty quickly, so it's pretty easy to just let yourself get caught up in it all. We just need to be mindful of any cliffs or pitfalls while we're charging forward. Animal Buddies like Rambi can really make your life easier, so you should always be on the lookout for an animal crate. You can actually take an extra hit from an enemy too. If you're struck by a baddie while riding a buddy, your buddy will run off, sort of like when you lose Yoshi in Super Mario World. They might come back if they hit a wall or some other obstruction further up, but be careful all the same. With as fast as we're going on Rambi though, I don't think we have too much to worry about, at least for right now. Pushing forward at high speeds, Rambi reveals to us another of his awesome abilities. Rambi can use his horn to break down any false walls that are hiding secret areas. Now as we go, we come across the side of a hill and as we run towards it, Rambi bashes into it revealing a way inside the cliff. Well, there's nothing else to do but make our way inside. We emerge inside a cave and we see a ton of bananas in front of us. Sweet! Holding the run button, we collect the banana bounty. Right at the very end of the trail, we spot a red extra life balloon up high. That is even sweeter. We jump up and grab that too. There are bonus rooms like this all over the island, and I have to say, when I found this first bonus room, I was immediately excited. Obviously I was excited to see what secrets i just uncovered, but more than that, I knew this secret had to mean there were other secrets to be found in the game world, and I wanted to find more. Now that I think about it, there's just something special about a game that gets its hooks in you this quick. And right away, I was pretty invested in this game, all because my rhino friend busted through a secret wall. Now as soon as we land back on our feet after collecting the 1-Up Balloon, we make it to the end of the section and we leave the bonus area. Whew, so that was just part of the first level of the game, and there's already a lot going on. Jungle Hijinx is the perfect opening level because within it, we got introduced to a lot of what this game has to offer. Finding bananas, the Kong letters, animal buddies, and secret areas. There's even a few things that I left out. It all seems rather simple when you list it out like this, but the gameplay in Donkey Kong Country can be rather complex. But the beauty in that is this game really is as complex as you make it. You can start a level with no other goal in mind than to make it all the way to the other side towards the exit, or you can work to uncover every secret within a level and try to collect every single banana you come across. Really, how you spend your time in each level is completely up to you. Personally, I enjoyed going through a stage and keeping an eye out for anything that might reveal a secret or something that would transport me to a bonus stage. But I have to be honest, this feeling did not last forever for me. As the game progresses, it becomes harder and harder to find secrets unless you have a guide, at least that's how it was for me. Remember, if you've listened to the show for any length of time, I do not claim to be a fantastic gamer. I am average at best and will miss a lot of stuff. Now in Donkey Kong Country, some secrets were hidden off-screen, which required you to make leaps of faith with no real indicator secret lay just out of reach. It's not too bad if you have a stockpile of extra lives to blow through if you want to take some chances, but it really wasn't too fun for myself. Still, it was pretty satisfying stumbling across something new. And speaking of something new, we'll use that as a pretty okay segue, that is something I can say for every single level in this game. While there are plenty of different locales to visit, such as the jungle, underground mines, underwater levels, snowy mountain ranges complete with blizzard-like weather, each and every level is different enough and contains its own unique challenges. You'll have levels that require you to swing on ropes to get from one place to another, other levels that are coated completely in ice, and even some levels that require you to navigate around using barrels suspended over pitfalls, and you have to shoot yourself in the right direction at exactly the right time. Every single level felt like a new challenge, but was done in a meaningful way. Each stage was just a little harder than the last, requiring you to slowly master certain game mechanics or ways to traverse around, and then adding another layer of complexity on top of that. Some levels were pretty easy, and others were a genuine challenge. Thinking back, the hardest level for me was one on the snowy mountain called Snow Barrel Blast. You're suspended in the air most of the level, and you have to jump inside one barrel and use it to shoot yourself to the next. Some of the barrels are spinning so you have to time your dismount just right, or you would find yourself splattered on the ground far below. And if I remember right, I think it was snowing in this level as well, so visibility was pretty limited. Oh, and there were also bees, yes, bees, that were floating around some of these barrels as well, so you had to be extra careful. This level genuinely pissed me off at first, but the more I played, I actually found an odd appreciation for how well the whole scene looked. Regardless, though, I always felt a sense of pride anytime I completed a level in this game. Each stage always had something new to offer, and I found myself just genuinely curious to see what new thing lie ahead on my Banana Horde rescuing journey. Speaking of barrels, another cool thing in Donkey Kong Country are the various barrels you'll find all over each stage. Now I mentioned the barrel cannons you can hop in and shoot yourself around, but there's others as well. Regular barrels are perfect for clobbering an enemy at a distance. Steel-rimmed barrels will actually roll along the ground and crush enemies in its path until it hits a wall and explodes, almost kinda like throwing a shell in Super Mario World and watching it flatten all of the Goombas in its path. One of my favorite barrels is the steel keg. This one will also roll along the ground, however, if you can toss it at a wall and then jump on top of it as it rebounds and comes back your way, you can ride on top of it whilst it's flattening your enemies. Now, I never did this move myself too often, but every now and then, it was awesome to pull off and watch all of the destruction that I created. There's also the TNT barrel that will explode on impact or act as a timed bomb if you set it back down on the ground. Rambi can use his horn to bust open some secret passages, but the TNT barrel is good for that as well. A general rule of thumb that I discovered? If a TNT barrel is sitting there waiting for you to pick it up, there is a pretty good chance there's a wall or object somewhere that can be blown away to reveal a secret. Now aside from all of those barrels, I mentioned the DK barrels that can contain either Donkey or Diddy if they aren't already with you, but the last barrel is probably the most useful, especially if you find yourself dying a lot like me. I am talking about the Star-Studded Continue Barrel. If you break this barrel open, it more or less acts as a checkpoint. Do what you can to smash this one open so you don't have to go all the way back to the beginning of a level if you perish. Now what really adds another layer to the overall gameplay experience is the inclusion of the animal buddies you come across on your journey. Aside from Rambi the Rhino, there's Expresso the Ostrich, Winky the Frog, Unguard the Swordfish, and Squawks the Parrot. Expresso has the ability to glide and can leap pretty far with his stubby little wings. He moves pretty fast, too. His biggest downside, though, is his skinny little ostrich legs. He can't jump on top of enemies and defeat them with a stomp. Little enemies will actually pass underneath him doing no damage, but bigger enemies will cause your ostrich pal some damage, so keep that in mind. Winky the Frog can be a little wonky to control in my opinion, but he's probably one of the more useful animal buddies. Being a frog, obviously, he can jump pretty damn high, so he is essential for reaching any of those out-of-reach areas Donkey and Diddy can't jump up to on their own. Winky can also stomp on almost every enemy in the game. Those big wasps that I mentioned earlier have spikes on their back, so you can't jump on them normally and kill them. Winky, however, can make short work of these jerks, which makes him very useful. UnGuard, the swordfish, is probably my personal favorite buddy out of all of them. Now, I don't say this next thing lightly, but I absolutely mean it. The underwater levels in Donkey Kong Country are my absolute favorites, and having UnGuard with you makes the experience even more magical. And who can forget the awesome music in these levels, right? Let me turn the volume up a little bit on that, give me just a second. Ah, perfect. The water levels are the most graphically impressive in my opinion. The stage geography looks good and the water effects are done exceptionally well. Pressing the jump button is what makes you swim and you navigate yourself around with a directional button. There's just something so satisfying about these levels and I found them to be a nice change of pace. You might find yourself rushed to get around the level if you have an octopus hot on your tail, but even then… plus, if you can find Unguard, it changes how you approach the level altogether. When you ride him, You can make Unguard thrust forward with a small burst of speed. If you can line up an enemy just right, it'll be knocked off screen thanks to Unguard's long and pointy sword nose. Even though it didn't really do anything, I would find myself just clearing out an area of enemies with Unguard just because I could. It's really fun and a huge highlight of the overall underwater experience for me. There's one more animal buddy to touch on before we move on, and I argue he is not really all that great of a pal. He only appears in the level called Torchlight Trouble, and that animal buddy is Squawks the Parrot. He is a unique buddy in that you cannot ride him around. He just hovers behind you holding a flashlight to light your way through the darkest level of the game. Squawks really is more of a gimmick than he is a buddy, really. I didn't mention this before, but scattered around the levels of the game you come across gold animal buddy tokens, and if you collect three of these, you'll be transported to a bonus stage where you can play as your animal pal and collect items to bank extra lives. Squawks, though, doesn't have anything like that, so he is just here for this one level, and that is his only purpose. No extra bonus stages, and you can't ride him. But even saying all that, the one reason I don't like him is if you have to turn around and look to the left side of the screen instead of the right, Squawks will turn around and be at your back again, but in doing so, he'll briefly shine his flashlight at the screen and it actually blinds you as the player for a very brief moment. While it's sort of clever that he does that, it is... Really frickin' annoying, especially if you have to change your heading a few times in quick succession. Like just… turn the other way, you dumb bird! Ah, but still, you only come across him once and if you really want a challenge, don't open his animal crate at all when you come across it and see if you can complete the level in relative darkness. So overall, I really enjoyed the addition of the animal buddies into the game but I also like that their inclusion isn't 100% necessary to have an enjoyable experience. What I mean is, if I found Rambi or one of his friends, it would be nice to use them. I do know some of them are needed to get into some of the bonus areas if you're looking to complete the game 100%, but even then, if I took a hit and lost my pal or just didn't come across one for a while, it never hampered the overall gameplay experience for me. Donkey Kong and Diddy on their own control exceptionally well and have enough of their own charm that the inclusion of these animal pals isn't essential to having a good time if that's all you're looking to do. So when I look back on my experience with Donkey Kong Country, I think the one thing that stands out for me is the incredible level design this game has to offer. Of all the levels in the game... I can honestly say there was not a single level that I didn't like or just got upset that I had to play through. The sheer variety that went into these levels and the challenges they put on the player just made sense and felt incredibly natural. I will say, about halfway through the game though, I started to see a pretty noticeable spike in difficulty and I found myself dying quite a bit. It wasn't really any sort of enemy that would do it to me, it would be the precise platforming needed to move forward without accidentally falling to my death. I mentioned it before, but platformers are just not my go-to game type, and I consider myself an average platformer at best. So working through the timing of certain jumps or navigating around some obstacles did slow me down a bit at times when the game would throw more and more at me and precise timing was needed. But when I did die, I don't think I ever really got frustrated by it. I just hopped back into the level and tried again. But all that said, for someone as inexperienced as myself, I can see this becoming very frustrating for some people. Donkey Kong Country is not like Super Mario, Kirby, or other platformers. It can demand quite a bit from you in the latter half of the game and could potentially be a turnoff for some. I can't remember the name of the level, but there was a later stage that I think about 70% of it was just shooting around these barrel cannons, and one slip-up would cause you to fall to your doom. Some of the barrels would be moving up and down, others would be spinning. Your timing needed to be absolutely perfect, and even when I thought my timing was perfect, I'd still screw something up and find myself dead. Now, me saying all that should in no way stop you from playing this game, don't get me wrong. Just know that you're in for a hearty challenge. So when we wrap it all up, Donkey Kong Country is considered by many to be an essential gameplay experience, and I have to agree 100% with that statement. Or perhaps I agree 101%. (laughs) Every part of this game was put together masterfully, and that absolutely shows in the presentation and the gameplay. Developer Rare absolutely set the bar when it came to the visuals on the Super Nintendo, but it was everything else that really helped this game come together. I'm talking about the smart and engaging level design, the easy-to-learn controls, and let us not forget the amazing soundtrack. And we also cannot forget about all of the secrets and the extras that this game has to offer as well. Any game can have bonus stages and extra lives littered everywhere to grab, but what makes Donkey Kong Country so special is how the whole experience makes the player feel. I genuinely wanted to find more secrets as I played. While bonus stages were great to get more bananas and extra lives, it was more the sense of discovery that drove me forward. I wanted to see it all, and experience each stage the developers put together, and get as full of an experience as I could. A lot of love went into the graphical design of the characters and the enemies, and they are just some of the best looking in gaming, period. Looking back, I went into this game half-cocked originally. I knew it was a good game because the world said it was, but it just never interested me as a kid like it did some others. But now that I've played through the game as an adult, I completely see it now. Donkey Kong Country is an absolute must-play for any gamer, even if it's just to see what all the hubbub is about. But I can almost guarantee you that, once you do give this game a go, You'll feel that call to adventure and make it your personal mission to help Donkey Kong and Diddy recover their lost banana hoard, even if it is the last thing that you ever do. And with that, we've come to the end of episode 35 of the Retro Wildlands, Donkey Kong Country for the Super Nintendo. If you made it this far, I really appreciate you listening to the show and hanging out with us in the gaming wildlands today. I know I didn't touch on absolutely everything this game has to offer, but I encourage you to give this game a try and discover some of the finer things for yourself. Some of my favorite video games do an excellent job with instilling in me a sense of wonderlust and a longing for discovery, and Donkey Kong Country fits that bill pretty nicely, and I think it will for you too if you give it a chance. I am eager to continue my journey into the Donkey Kong Country series and see what else is out there. If you have any recommendations on where I should go next, or if I just need to play the games in order or anything, reach out to me and let me know. I'm already liking Donkey Kong Country 2, so I may just stick with it, but I would love to hear from you. And another huge thank you to my buddy Bob for recommending I check this title out. I hope this episode did your game some justice, my friend. Maybe you and I should play this one two-player one day. But the question is, competitive or cooperative? Hmm. If you like the show and want to show it and myself some support, please consider subscribing or following us on your preferred podcasting platform. While I try my hardest to work in a consistent posting schedule while I balance all the other aspects of my life, it doesn't always work out that way, so making sure you follow or subscribe is going to be the best way to get notified when I drop new episodes. And if you really like what I'm trying to do over here, I'd appreciate it if you left us a good review on your podcasting platform, if you're able to. Good reviews, I assume, will help circulate the show to new listeners, and I'd love to see the show reach more people. And if you haven't already, don't forget to follow us over on social media. You can find the Retro Wildlands over on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and even YouTube if you search at Retro Wildlands. You are more than welcome to follow our channels and interact with the show, or you can just use those platforms to reach out to me directly, or if you don't want to do any of that, you have my permission to be a lurker. Once you follow us on social media, you'll be able to see when I toss out some updates about the show or show off something of my gaming collection or whatever sort of random goodness makes sense that day. So join us for all of that if any of that interests you. So what's coming up next? I have a few Super Nintendo games that I've finished recently that I'm thinking of doing an episode on, possibly some of the ones I talked about in the intro, but I have also gone back to the original Nintendo where I'm currently playing through a game that I am having an absolute blast with and I don't think a lot of people talk about it too much. I am also fixing to record another top 10 episodes since these continue to be very well received. I just need to settle on a topic. I have a few ideas that I'm bouncing around, like my top 10 most disappointing video games, top 10 favorite game mechanics, and top 10 mini games. but I haven't committed to any of them just yet. If you have an idea for a game or a top 10 list that you think would be fun to listen to, hit me up on social media and let me know. I do have a small list of recommendations that I'm hoping to work through over time. So that said, I am very excited to keep making shows, and I am looking forward to the next one. I would be absolutely humbled and honored if you decided to join up with us next time when we ride off into the wilderness in search of a good story and an awesome adventure. So here's hoping we meet again. Until then, my friends, my name is Nomad, and you can find me roaming the retro wildlands.